This is Mark and Moore in the morning. Hello, this is Mark and Moore in the morning. It's our podcast. Thank you very much for finding us. And this is episode eight. In the podcast, we like to celebrate healthcare professionals and chat with celebrities. On our last podcast, we spoke to Harley Moon Kemp, Sitil Punja and Maxwell Ivy, the blind blogger. In this episode, we'll be chatting with Catherine Jenkins and Melissa Mellett, the Director of Operations at the Hillington Hospital. You can find out more about our podcast and our daily show at markandmore.com. Melissa, thank you for your time this afternoon. Great to have you on our show. Director of Operations for the Trust, I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your job responsibilities. Yeah, so I am responsible for um, unplanned care. So I'm the Director of Operations for Unplanned Care and look after um, the pathways for our patients coming in via our emergency unit and um, or, or and minor injuries unit over at Mount Vernon site until the end of their pathway. So whether they go through emergency theatre, whether or not they need um, ultrasounds, um, x-rays, you know, whatever it is that the patients need throughout their pathway, I'm, re- I'm responsible for ensuring that um, the setup within the hospital is able to, to manage the patient's needs. So does this mean you're responsible for those targets around A&E and, and getting patients into beds after coming into the emergency department? Yeah, so there's the four-hour um, constitutional target. Um, so patients um, should be seen and um, either ditched and treated um, or admitted onto the ward within four hours of arrival from to the emergency department. So we were talking with uh, Dr. Fiona Wisinecki um, a few weeks back on the show. Yeah. Uh, and obviously that's where she spent some of her time. For you, what was your journey in, into the medical profession and into... Hillingdon. So I originally had wanted to be a lawyer or was going to be a lawyer and I read history at university um, and whilst I was at university um, somebody um, had suggested that I did um, some work at the local hospital um, so I worked on the local bank and I did healthcare assistant work at UCLH hospital um, and then continued to do that throughout my university career. Whilst there I then just got very interested because you could go onto one ward and, um, and work on one ward and see the same sort of patients, but the pathways for the patient were extremely different. So I got really interested in why and, and whether or not, and the communication between a hospital about, did, did you know that ward X did um, something and, and around how you shared learning? Um, so past, when I fast finished my um, degree, I then decided to work full-time in, in a hospital um, and then um, do a master's degree in health informatics um, and um, so looking at data and working on um, clinical coding, which was a very big thing at the time. Um, and I mean, it's something we still use, um, but it was, it was sort of just really launching um, at, at, the, at, the, at the pace that we now do it at the time. And I started managing a information team and a clinical coding team. And then from there, I moved into operations. Um, I managed women's and children's um, at sort of a, a business manager level and then at Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, I um, took on medicine and then surgery um, and then moved to Hillingdon, where I've um, taken up this role. So how long have you been with the team here at Hillingdon? So time flies, so I need to calculate this. Um, I had just, just after my daughter, it's coming up to six, seven years. Um, and I did an earlier stint um, before um, Chelsea and Westminster. I, I worked here at a lower, um, lower level. And within the organisation, um, so probably eight years in total, or eight to ten years if you were to add the two times together. And how do you say in that 
six-year period, the, the trust has changed? Oh, it's, it's changed vastly. Um, I think the volumes of patients year on year increase. Um, so the volumes of patients attending the hospital year on year has been has increased um, significantly. So trying to um, in, in in a building like um, Hillingdon, um, which is which is a um, which was not built to 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 manage patients, the volumes of patients that we um, see has has been a challenge. And I think equally, there's been a much closer working and and sort of recognition that it's not possible to, to continue to do that. So there's been a lot, a, a much bigger focus of working more collaboratively, um, both at a local level, so with our, what we call the Hillingdon Health um, Care Partnership, so our CCG, which are the commissioners, the CNWL, who are the community providers of the service within Hillingdon, and, and also um, as well uh, our third-party sectors, and, um, and um, so working collaboratively to try to find ways of bringing um, care closer to home, providing things that we would normally provide in a, in a secondary setting, um, in, in a community setting. So that's sort of been our approach for the last three years. And then equally as a sort of sector, a northwest London sector, so we're in a patch with um, Northwick Park, uh, Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, which is Chell West and West Middlesex um, hospitals, and Imperial, which are four different hospitals um we're sort of working collaboratively as a sector on how we can better provide the secondary care um so the stuff that ha- absolutely has to be in a hospital how we do that better so you're talking about there about the the growth of uh, patients coming in contact with the hospital you must have been doing some work i'm sure in new hospital plans and potentially buildings in the future yes and um, so there's a big big piece of work in the hospital um on our redevelopment and um, excitingly, we were um, given some funding um, by the government to um, start our business case proposals, so the outline business case, to look at the options of where and how we can build um, build a new hospital. Um, and we've, so we've been given some seed funding to be able to um, get that up and into fruition with the plan that we will be in a new hospital, start the, the starting to um, have the foundations of a new hospital in 2023. Um, and um, build uh, as in building work to start with it mm. to finish probably 2024-25. Um, so not that long, um, really, in the grand scheme of things. But um, in the meantime, um, obviously, we, we, we continue to work within the environment that we have. And we have done a lot of work. The hospital has done a lot of work to try to improve improve the environment for our patients um, pre-COVID, um, as well as during COVID, now trying to maintain and, and maximise how we keep our patients safe. Yeah, I mean, you talk about that timeline. That is really quick for any build when you think about the yeah. size and the enormity and the services that are going to have to be laid in for a yeah. functional hospital. Absolutely. I think we've got an extremely excellent opportunity and we've got an extremely ambitious and um, an exciting programme that um, our, and our execs are driving um, for um, and working with the government to try to to ensure that this happens for our, our local population, which is excellent. Now, it would be amiss of me not to talk about uh, the COVID pandemic. You've almost been at the very front end of this in terms of uh, Hillington's um, delivery of uh, medical care. How much of a challenge was that when things were starting to really pick up in sort of February time? So I think February is probably one of the most difficult times because the um, activity, the normal activity was still still fairly high and we hadn't reduced down some of the other services um, early on in, in February. And I think what I would say is it was an extremely challenging time. 
and we had to, to change the way that we provide services on the hospital's ITU. Um, we have a nine, normally have a nine-bedded ITU in our um, in a unit, in a single unit, and we had to be able to create additional capacity. So we doubled our capacity and used our theatres um, as a second ITU to provide um, that. And equally, our ITU would normally see um, level three and level two patients. So that's ventilated patients as well as high dependency patients that aren't necessarily or not uh, ventilated. And, and therefore, on top of the ventilated space in both our normal ITU and the theatre's ITU, we created a medical, uh, an HDU unit and a second ward. So we, um, I think what I would say is our teams were fantastic at, um, at mobilising and working together and, and breaking down boundaries of what we would have originally have thought was possible and mobilised extremely quickly. But getting us through that process was, you know, was, was, was a challenge for, for all of us to, to initially, but I think everybody's responded extremely well. What about um, this topic around PPE? There's lots of talk in the media about not having enough nurses and doctors um, struggling to work was that the case for us here in Hillingdon? I think we um, had we we had flow of, of PPE and we were working with the Northwest again. What, this Northwest London collaboration made a big a big difference during the time. So we had a we were working centrally to whilst we were working centrally with the central team as a Northwest London. Um, we were t- hospitals. We were working with each other, so we were sharing and and moving things and resources across across our Northwest London patch. So we had enough, we did have enough PPE to be able to um, manage in line with the government policies at the time. But nevertheless, it was, there was still you know, times where we weren't sure whether we were going to have enough, but we, we always did. So that's a credit to you and your team to make sure that both patients and staff were, were protected. I mean, it, the teams were, were amazing, the purchasing supplies team and, the, and like I said, the, the collaboration across the... The, the the northwest london hospitals made a big big difference during that time as we think about the future what would be the one big thing you'd like to see happen or a thing you could do to improve healthcare for patients as they come through the emergency department i think for me if we were to sort of flip it around i think because we have an urgent care center at the front um, door and people walk through the system i think it is especially as we're a sort of a, a, a hot site it's around i guess patients being able to book into slots and into the right place not necessarily having to come into the emergency department and being able to access the healthcare that they need um you know sort of gp um led healthcare in the community i think as we adapt to the new the new norm um which is um that this is you know this isn't going to go away um completely and we will have continual um pockets of it and so how do we best um, care for our patients and use technology that um, we've used through this period and um, having virtual um, appointments where possible um, and reducing the need for patients to have multiple attendances. I think that would be, for me, the best service that we can provide for our patients. And a final question for you, Melissa. I, I have to say this has been incredibly insightful and probably uh, something that most people don't get to hear about. But in terms of staffing, those. um talk of having to increase the number of nurses and doctors throughout the NHS. One assumes that applies too for the team here at Hillingdon. So we've just started our um, elective programme up again over at um, Mount Vernon. So Mount Vernon is our cold site so that we screen all patients prior to going there. They then have to isolate until we get the results back and they are um, attending that our staff are, are regularly that are working on that site are regularly screened themselves um, and um, so, but the challenges, the new challenges are how we ensure that space and in our old buildings, that's um, 
slightly more challenging, but it's not something that we haven't been able to um, to work through. Um, but um, it means that we can we see less patients than we would previously, uh, are able to see less patients than we are previously, and the cleaning process in between um, the in between patients is also um, uh, takes up takes up longer. So you need um, we do need more um, resource than we previously would to be able to maintain hot and cold flows. Mm. Um, and then over at Hillingdon site, um, it's a hot it's a hot site, so. We do. We are doing everything possible to minimise the risk for our staff and our patients. So PPE is worn, and we are temperature checking patients um, that are coming in for other um, non-emergency issues. So whether it's um, phlebotomy or having to come in for a scan, for example, we are we are temperature checking patients. Are wearing uh, masks when they come into the building, and we are um, we put lots of signage and um, things on to make sure that people are, are social distancing and keeping to the left so that we have clear pathways in and out. But I think um, the building um, and the volumes that come through Hillingdon uh, mean that um, we're having to, to run sort of two systems. So in a you have a hot flow and a, and, a, and a cold flow, so COVID likely and unlikely, which means that you, you have to resource both areas. So there, there have been staffing implications because of the pathways that you have to create. To wrap up today, Melissa, I leave the final word with you. Uh, what message would you really like to send to the whole team at Hillingdon? Just a massive, I mean, I, I, I say it all the time, but a massive thank you and just how um, in awe I am of, of my colleagues because um, they have absolutely, um, as all, as they always do when it comes to um, having to deal with um, any major issue, but they've absolutely all um, stood up and made the relevant changes quickly um, and the right things for our patients. And it's just unbelievable in terms of people have, haven't stopped. You know, it's been full, full on and in all areas and they've all worked extremely well together. And so just a really big thank you. Melissa Millett, Director of Operations of the Hilling Hospital. Thank you very much. Still to come on the podcast, Catherine Jenkins. Think you need medical help right now and you're not sure what to do? Go straight to NHS 111. Call, go online or use the NHS app. You'll answer questions about your symptoms and receive advice about what to do next and where to go. And, if needed, a healthcare professional will call you. NHS 111 is available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. So, if you're not sure what to do, go straight to 111. Help us help you know what to do. This is Mark and Moore in the Morning podcast. You're listening to the Mark and Moore in the Morning podcast. Thank you very much for all of the comments you've been sending me around uh, fact of the week. And indeed, there's been some fact checking going on. You can always email us if you'd like to share your thoughts. Studio at markandmore.com. But Colin, what's the fact of the week for this week? It's a very, very fishy one. Oh. And an octopus will eat its own arm if it's get hungry. <laughs> now, the only problem with that yeah. is not sport for choice, is he? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. We'll have another one next time. This is Mark and Moore in the morning. Catherine Jenkins, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to our show. And belated um, happy birthday greetings. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. I'm, I'm officially old now. I turned 40 last week. <laughs> so still having the celebrations though. <laughs> now, um, every time I've seen you in the past uh, few weeks, uh, whether that be on social media, on television, you always got an amazing ball gown on. <laughs> uh, 
just pick, picture picture it for us right now. How would what would you be wearing right now on the radio? <laughs> Actually, I'm not wearing a ball gown right now. I've got a little denim dress on as I'm talking to you. But you're right. I have been wearing ball gowns pretty much every week through lock every yeah at least once a week through lockdown so you're right <laughs> and uh, we've been following your saturday concerts and i'll talk about those in a second if we can but obviously it's all about this new album uh, cinema paradiso tell us uh, what's the inspiration when you uh, come up with this idea well i've always loved film music um you know i think that's such a a close connection between uh, you know, the classical composers of today writing all these sort of big epic film scores. And um, my husband's a director and he, you know, so he, there's a big influence of film in the house and he also wrote me into it, one of his films recently. Um, and so I think that there was, um, there was kind of a lot of film influence. So it felt like a natural album to make, but I wanted to do it where it was the most iconic moments of movies so in terms of the music. So, you know, as soon as you heard a song from the album, you could immediately imagine the scene or imagine the film, things like, you know, Moon River from Breakfast at Tiffany, um, Singing in the Rain, uh, West Side Story, Lord of the Rings, um, when you wish upon a star from Pinocchio, like it's all, it's all very iconic music. And little did I know when I made the album at the end of last year that obviously what would be coming in 2020, and that when we released the album, that we would have all been relying on films for you know escapism and entertainment and a sense of nostalgia. And and I think that's how I describe the album. It's very nostalgic. If I may, I want to pick up on three tracks from the album. Maybe for one of for very personal reasons, you you did The Rose. Yes. Uh, and for me, uh, that's quite uh, an important song in my life because it was the song I had my first dance to when I got married. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, and when I was listening to it, I mean, it was beautiful, but you also did some wonderful collaborations um, across the album as well. Tell us about some of the people you sung with. So, um, yeah, I've been got some lovely duet partners on this album. Firstly, um, and in no particular order, but Luke Evans uh, is duetting with me on tonight from West Side Story. Um, I saw, uh, you know, Luke do so well with his album and thought, right, we need a Welsh power duet of this one. Um, we've got Sean Escoffrey, um, who I absolutely love his voice. Um, he is singing on the duet of The Rose. Um, and for the for the album title track, Cinema Paradiso, um, I'm singing with a, a very young up and coming Italian tenor called Alberto Urso and he's sort of being pitched as the as the next Andrea Bocelli and his voice is absolutely gorgeous. Mm. And you touch on uh, the title track there obviously we learn uh, the sad loss of Ennio Morricone um, who was the composer of that track. Yeah and, and I, I mean I heard the news um, this morning and was just so sad because you know, what an incredible gift he's given to the world. Um, I actually walked down the aisle to one of his pieces of music. Um, and, you know, I love his music so much that the title track, you know, is written by him, Cinema Paradiso. So um, I think that he, um, he always wrote incredibly emotional music. Um, and I feel thankful to have been able to include some of his music on this album. Absolutely. The other track, um which I absolutely love is uh, I'll Never Fall in Love Again from When a Star is Born. Of course, we all probably remember it more as Lady Gaga singing it. Um, how easy is it to transfer her style of song uh, with your voice? 
Well, um, yeah, that was probably one of the most modern um, or more contemporary of the of the movie songs on the album. Um, but I just thought it was such a beautiful and emotional number. And I can immediately see her singing that at the award ceremony um, in the film. Um, I actually had to sing it on The Masked Singer. <laughs> uh-huh. so I'd already sung it once. Um, and... And I, ch- and I chose that song because I thought I could try and sing it in a more kind of poppy way and try and disguise my my classically trained voice on that show. But because I was already thinking about uh, film music when we were, and, and preparing the album, I thought, actually, I would really like to sing this in my own way. And it was really nice to record it without a mask on. And congratulations on the last thing. It was a great performance. Uh, so you've been doing your uh, concerts over the past, what, 16 weeks now. Uh, and, and lots of uh, your contemporaries have also been performing from home. We've seen Tony Hadley's Lounge. We've seen Gary Barlow's recording studio. And to me, it looks like you was in the set of Downton Abbey. <laughs> and I say that with a surname of Grantham, and I think I can get away with it. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's it's been a, it's been such an, uh, a fun and, and special thing to do. Um, so it all came about because my mum has just slipped into that you know seventies bracket. She was isolating at home at first before the lockdown, and I kept thinking of people like my mum and thinking, oh, you know. I'd like, I, I'd like to be able to keep them company. So I said to my husband, I think I'm going to do a Facebook concert tonight. And he said, yeah, great idea. You should do that. Um, and I promised, you know, what in the concert, I said, look, I will keep you company for as long as we're in this, you know, this lockdown situation. I had no idea that we'd be getting, you know, millions of people watching from all around the world and that we would be doing it for 16 weeks um and it's just been an amazing experience because it became a family show and very stripped back i'm literally singing into my iphone um and you know you've got my husband pressing play on the backing tracks my daughter running around behind me in the background mm. <laughs> um and it just became very interactive and i think um i'm thankful to everybody for giving me a reason at least to get out of my my uh, Pajama bottoms and put a bit of makeup on every Saturday night and have a reason <laughs> to get up and sing. <laughs> and if I can, my, my favourite moment um, was I think two weeks back, and you was doing a tribute to Dame Vera Lynn and for those people who may, who may have lost someone over this past um, three months or so. And in the background, your daughter said, "But I haven't lost anybody." I thought that was just <laughs> absolutely beautiful. <laughs> Uh, it's like, I know it's like a, it's a constant battle to get her to keep quiet um, and if it's not her it's my son who's you know two and sat there in his in his little high chair drinking his milk while I sing to him so it like I said it's a family show and it's real life and I think people have enjoyed getting to see a bit of a glimpse of that. Absolutely um, Catherine thank you so much uh, it's been great to talk to you uh, good luck with the album. It's um, it's a fabulous listen. I think it's got something in there for absolutely everybody. Oh, and- thank you so much. It's been lovely to chat to you and stay safe and well. Mark and more in the morning. Best bits on the podcast. That's just about it for this week. On the next podcast, we'll be talking to Marty Wilde, MBE, and Hannah Stainer. Don't forget you can find out more about our show on markandmore.com. 
We're on the Beach Radio and Radio Hillingdon, Monday to Friday, 10 till 1. Join us at 11.15. We'll have our 11s, our survey said, word on health from Paul Pennington. And you can look us up on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just search for Mark and Moore in the morning. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe. We'd love to read your comments. See ya. Bye. Bye.